Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. <laughs> Hello and welcome back. It's another installment of the seventh inning stretch. The uh, you know the the races are heating up here in the divisions and the wild card. Baseball is getting exciting. It's uh, postseason's around the corner. And joining me as always to discuss it is uh, Mr. Justin Wells. Justin, how are you, my man? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, you know, lo- loving these races, loving how they're going down to the wire, and kind of uh, admiring how pathetic the National League is. Yeah, it's it, it's actually turned out quite surprising. Uh, you know, teams like the Giants have fizzled, and we expected them to be a little bit stronger. Teams like the Cardinals and the and the Pirates have also fizzled and uh, you know died down a little bit with their momentum, and that's kind of surprising because you know last year we saw how strong the National League was and how everything was so competitive, and all these teams really were fighting and scrapping. This year seems to be, uh, you know, a little bit of the opposite of that. Yeah, I mean, last year the team that made the, the team that had the fewest amount of wins. Uh, was it was it was a division winner? It was the Mets. This year, you're gonna have you know a wild card team conceivably operating around 85, 86 games, 85, 86 wins, which is not something that you know we're used to really seeing. Yeah, exactly. But it's nice that you know it's nice and tight up there at the wild card, especially, and that's uh, something that. You know, we're really looking, I'm really looking forward to, especially in the National League, being as though you and me both keep a really close eye on the National League. And, uh, it, it just seems to me, you know, to start here, I mean, it just really seems to me that what's happening with the San Francisco Giants, it, 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 it's flabbergasting, man. Uh, you know, th- we don't usually see them capitulate like this, you know, especially during an even year. And, and to see them just, on this downward spiral, you know, losing six out of the last 10 and, and really playing subpar baseball the second half of the season. It's the nature of how they're doing it too. That's really been the, that's really been shocking. Uh, the starting pitching has been, been, you know, it's been fine there. There's a hole in their staff after the, after the number three starter because, you know, Samarja has been decent. Cueto and Bumgarner have been very good. And then, you know, whatever they can cobble together, for, you know, just try to outscore the other teams. They're offensively good. The issue there has been they've just melted down in late innings lately. This is a team that was 87 and five after lead. It, it was 
in, in the last two years, I think something like 87 and five after leading by less than two runs in the eighth or ninth inning. And in their last nine games, they're four and five. They've been blowing leads. That's extremely, extremely uncharacteristic. And it's the type of thing, the late, late inning lead blowing isn't something that portends well to even if you are making the playoffs going far, but it's certainly not good for them right now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've seen it time and again. You really need a strong bullpen. You really need, you know, that type of reinforcement at the back end, you know, to go deep into these and into the playoffs and to really make a push for the World Series. And it's really is surprising because somebody that's watched and, and keeps a close eye on the NL West, obviously, as a Dodger fan out here in L.A., it really is surprising. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not happy and I don't have a big old smile of cheeser on my face every night, right? Including last night. Uh, but for me, it's just I, my jaw's on the floor, man, because I'm not used to this. I'm used to them being scrappier than this. Uh, and Bruce Bochy in a Giants uniform, it's, this has been a rarity for them to have this type of capitulation late in the season. No, it's it's flat out something we just haven't seen. This This team's been... Far too good. I mean, it's an even year. They're supposed to win the World Series this year. That's how it's been going over the last six years. You know, every other year they've won the World Series, and it's been an even year. This year, that doesn't. This year, it doesn't look like that's something that's going to happen. And um, and it's a pattern. I'm not exactly disappointed to see break. No, me neither. As a, you know, as a Dodger fan, you can you can imagine how that how I feel about that. Another team that I'm not too fond of because you know I've had my my, my trouble with them also, and, and they're in this race as well. Is the Cardinals? What are your thoughts on the Cardinals, man? Uh, you know, they, they're playing about 500 ball over the last 10 games. They're not really you know doing anything too special, although they have won three on the bounce. So you know, could this be a turn of momentum? What are your thoughts on the Cardinals? Um. I feel like they're a team that's been playing to the level of their opposition all season. They're, it's actually the most anti-Cardinals team that we've seen in a long time. This is a team that scores all that scores all of its runs by hitting home runs, something the Cardinals haven't really done since Pujols left. And it's a team that doesn't pitch well or defend well, which are two things the Cardinals always do. Uh, they've they've had the toughest they have the toughest schedule, I think, of any of the teams. Down the stretch, just just by proxy, the fact that playing in the central right now, it's the toughest division. The only, I mean, there's what one more. They they've got the Cubs still. They've got the Pirates still. The Pirates say what you will about them. They're still not awful. And the Cubs, even if they're going to be resting regulars, are still deep enough as to where they're going to play really really well. And they're going to try to win as many games as possible anyway to cement having home field throughout. So they're they're the one that have the toughest stretch coming in coming into the last week of the season. I, I'm not bullish on, on them at all. They do, however, finish up at home. So they have that to their advantage. Uh, the other thing that she, that really goes to mention is that all three of these teams right now realistically have to ensure that, you know, Baumgartner, Syndergaard, and Carlos Martinez are all lined up for the same night. Because there's going to be a playing game, and you're, you're going to watch your ace going for it. Yeah, exactly. And that's what's really been excited with, you know, the addition of the play-in game in this wild card situation is it really has intensified these races and made it more exciting, you know. And, you know, as a Mets fan, I'm sure, you know, you're on the edge of your seat. This is probably a little bit of un uncomfortable, and quite honestly, because you do want to win the division. You do want to get that automatic, you know, place into a divisional series. So, I mean, as, as somebody fighting for a wild card spot, how how are you feeling as a fan, man? Right now, with how injured the Mets are, with how many injuries they've had this season, uh, you, you lost your starting first baseman in May. You lost your starting third baseman in June. You lost, at this point, 
at this point, three of their five starters from opening day are out. Um, two of them for this season in Harvey and DeGrom, who, by the way, were your one and two starters going into the season. Granted, we you know Noah Syndergaard is a Cy Young candidate at this exact point, so it's not exactly as if they don't have, you know, still good pitching. But the, they're they're lucky that they kept Bartolo Colon around. Is all I can say about this. He's, you know, he's fifteen and seven or fourteen and seven with it pitching to an ERA of around three point one five, and he's forty three. He's the model of consistency. He's a guy I want to see the Mets resign for two seasons, even though he only wants to play for one more. Uh, he's been the you know arguably the most important player to to the Mets team this season, just because of the level of consistency he's afforded them. But you know, right now with the way this team is playing and with the amount of injuries they have, anything is gravy. I mean, they made a trade at the trade deadline that's just awful in re- in getting back Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce, not a player I've ever been a fan of. Still not a player I'm a fan of. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, we've had conversations about Jay Bruce and how he's, uh, you know, reaching Jason Bay territory, and that's dangerous territory in Mets lore. He's got a 51 OPS plus since the Mets traded for him. Like, so anybody's not familiar with that statistic, 51 is half of basically league average. That's so far below replacement value. If the Mets can make a playoffs, having traded for this guy at the deadline is their big addition, that's a miracle. Yeah, I hear you, man. Uh, but let's move on, dude. Let's talk about the other side, you know, the American League wild card situation. Uh, you know, that's also, you know, I mean, it's pretty much done and dusted. I don't know if Detroit really has what it takes to jump in here. I don't think Houston really has or Seattle have what it takes to get into the race. I think it's going to be Baltimore and Toronto. Uh, you know, and, and, and then it's a crapshoot, man, to see who gets into the, you know, into the divisional series because – they're so familiar with each other. They're, they're two teams that basically play the same type of game. They, 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 they live and die on the home run. What are your thoughts on that, dude? I think all three of the East teams play the same exact game. Boston, Baltimore, and Toronto, they're all just teams that slug a lot. Uh, I'm not impressed by the bullpen that any three of them have. And it's, it's my main reason for maybe not necessarily buying the Red Sox. Although, I mean, I think they're a good team. It's maybe my reason for not buying them as a as a title contender but i think that you know these two, three teams play mirror image baseball uh they've they've earned it there there's three teams that are going to make the wild card in that division that means that they've had to play each other a lot they've had to play against the yankees who are also really really good the only the only free ride in there has been tampa bay who have been terrible but if you're detroit houston or seattle you look at what's going on in your division, if you can't beat up on some of the fat there, and especially Detroit, because the AL the NL Central's been it's been bad. Um, you should uh you shouldn't you shouldn't you know go around feeling sorry for yourself because you had it under control and you just couldn't close it out. Especially Seattle. They started out the season so well and just faded so hard in the middle. You you can you know, there's a certain point at which you can fade where if you can't get that surge at the end of the season, you know, started early enough. It's going to be too little too late. And you feel bad for Seattle because they're going to finish over 500 for the first time in a while. And they're going to have nothing to show for it. Yeah, but I think that's good for Seattle in the sense of, you know, it's incremental success. I know they don't want to hear that. And I know that, uh, you know, but this could be the, the foundation to a consistent 
winning mentality and a consistent building of a good foundation there and a good team. I, you know, I like what they're doing. I, I, I do think that they can add a couple more pieces, both, you know, on the mound and, and you know, in the lineup. But, but overall, I, I do like what Seattle's doing. They have nothing to be ashamed of, I think, especially when what we expected Seattle coming in, probably they've exceeded those expectations. Like you said, the Yankees have been hit and miss all season. They've been hot and cold all season, but they have shown this youth that, I think it's a rarity, something that I don't know if in my lifetime I can say that they've had a youth movement, you know, besides the Jeter, Posada, Bernie, whole that whole era. But it, it, it's incredible what the Yankees are doing with some of these young, young players. Well, it just turns out that Gary Sanchez is going to be the greatest player who ever lived. If we if we actually extrapolate what he's done over the last three weeks, four weeks, and extend them over the course of a full season. I mean, he, he's been absolutely amazing. Uh, that's the type of thing where I don't ever wish the Yankees well. And, uh, anybody who's, you know, ever listened to us knows the extent to which I I just really dislike that franchise, but I see enough of them play being years to where I can tell you this guy looks like an extremely special player. Um, Aaron judge, who is a player. I remember telling you at the end of the season that I wanted to watch has been on the flip side, uh, you know, very disappointing and shows you kind of what prospects can be because judge is actually too big to seemingly get around on a ball. I mean, he's six seven. He's a giant outfielder, uh, and his swing's too long because his body's too big. And it's ama- And that's the thing with the Yankees. They figured out if we have all these prospects, if we stock our system with fourteen blue chips prospects and six of them work out, that's a really good percentage. No, absolutely. And it's just a different approach to what we're used to with them. We're used to them, you know, getting rid of all of their prospects and really, you know, tapping that dry and and winning now mentality. And I think that that's kind of cost them in the long run. But now they're rebuilding and it's kind of a different approach. And it's something that it's nice to see there. You know, like you said, Detroit really has to beat up on that, uh, you know, weak AL Central. The White Sox are trash. You know, uh, every single person on the Royals is also hurt like the Royals and Mets have had very 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 parallel seasons the only difference in why the why the Mets are getting by on it and the Royals aren't is just the fact that the National League East is even more garbage than the AL Central yes exactly and and God knows the Twins you know worst worst baseball club in the league uh it's just been really they they really have to beat up on that and I know Detroit's really gonna gonna come up into a series against the Twins here and they really have to capitalize on that and hopefully for them they can sweep that and make it happen because they really need to uh get it going to catch these two East teams I think yeah, no, it's it's absolutely it's absolutely true. It's just there, the other thing that you have to keep in mind is it's you know it's time. They don't have a ton of it. There's really only about ten games left in their season. They have ten games within which they realistically have to play three games better than both the teams ahead of them. That's that's a tall order. It's a you're trying you're asking to jump at least one team. Ideally, you'd like to jump two because you want the home game. But you're asking to jump two teams, which I, the only thing that they can hope for, and I haven't looked, is do they play each other. And you have to hope that one of them sweeps the other. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's what it comes down to at these part, you know, this time of the year is really your opposition and strength of schedule. And if you guys, if you do play your, your, your main competitor for these positions, you really have to do your best to really, uh, you know, close out these games because, you know, one game is really two in the standings at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and once again, the time factor can't be let out enough. The other thing that can't be let out is these teams don't exactly pitch very well especially Detroit so there's not a whole lot of a margin for error especially because 
there's the old adage, you know, pitching wins championships. Well, it's certainly going to win you uh, the, the ability to even play for a single wild card game. You want to make sure everything's lined up. And hey, Detroit's pitching is Detroit's pitching is bad, but they have a bye week because they play the Twins. I think starting tonight. <laughs> oh man, poor Twinkies! They boy have they let me down this year. Oh. I got to see them up close and personal this weekend because they they were in New York uh, playing at the String. That's an awful baseball team. It, oh. it, it's so bad. Is it's it so bad? Is it that bad, really? It's every bit as bad as you'd imagine. Damn, that's kind of disappointing. Oh, <laughs> I mean, they're going for like a historical paradigm of pitching to contact in a league where more increasing people, more increasingly, you're seeing teams strike out. They're pitching to contact. I don't. That, that's a strategy that defies all logic. Like I get it. Target field is big. Doesn't matter. Well, and that's why they're searching for a general manager, my friend. Yeah, the, they're going to be searching for a long time. Apparently, nobody wants that job. You saw little big league. It's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, Tim Busfield seems like a nice guy, but I don't see him taking the job in real life. He's an actor, Armando. <laughs> oh man. I, just a total side question. Tim Busfield, better in Little Big League or Revenge of the Nerds? Little Big League. Oh, I hate you. It's okay. Oh, he's so good in Revenge of the Nerds, though. He is. But I have a soft Texter, spot. man. I, I have a soft spot in my heart for him in Little Big League. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, here, here, let, me, let me ask you another question, then. Because one of these movies contains your favorite baseball team. Better baseball movie. Angels in the Outfield. Or Little Big League. Oh, Little Big League. It is, I, I have to happen to agree with you on Ken that Ken Griffey one. Jr. makes a cameo. Uh, yeah, no, Tony Danza's not doing it for me. Yeah, Angels in the Outfield. I mean, Angels in the Outfield is ridiculous. Yeah, well, I mean, the Angels are ridiculous, so it is what it is. Yeah, but that's – speaking of, of terrible teams, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, uh, how many games do you think they've won without Mike Trout this season? Like – Right now, I think they're, they're they're on pace to win about 70 games. How many games do you think Mike Trout's worth to him? Mike Trout's got to be worth, like, 9, 11 games. That's what I'd have to think, too. Like, that's where I think the war, the war stat, like, can't be counted accurately because he's in the middle of everything that that team has happened. That's good. Yeah, I mean, that's all they have is Mike Trout. And, and, and I, I know we're going to get to this later, but... but... I just don't understand how Mike Sosha keeps getting by. Every we can get year. to that. We can, we can get to it now. We we can get to that now. But managers who should be fired, Mike Sosha tops the list, I think, for both of us. He's had to be on the top of my list for like five years, and it's not getting any better. The team's not getting any better. You're not seeing even flashes of anything. They win games because Mike Trout's really good at baseball. Um... I, I don't understand. He's seen three or four GMs come and go. I mean, how many time? How much time does one World Series win against the Giants a decade ago really get you? Obviously, a decade. But you're actually going on a decade and a half because you know if he enters next season as a manager, it'll be 15 seasons since they won. When he enters next season as manager, so you th- you don't think there's any chance they fire him? No. Artie Moreno loves him. I don't understand it. I, I live in L.A. I'm not even reading press in in the papers with any heat on Mike Sosha whatsoever. It's ho-hum, the Angels. Yeah, so what do you think it is? Basically, he's getting in a pass because of the fact that the entire pitching staff died? I don't know. 
Uh, it has to be something because he's gotten a pass, whether it's that, whether it's injuries elsewhere. I mean, the farm isn't that good. His teams have I, – I, I don't know. I don't know. But really, nobody's asking these questions in L.A. Nobody has – maybe nobody cares about the Angels, and quite, quite, quite honestly, because the ballpark's dead. There's no buzz. All there is is Mike Trout, and that's really nothing else. It's really – I don't know, man. I mean, if I were it up to me, Mike Socha has to go. We need freshness. We need a fresh face. We need another mentality, a new ethos. Something has to change there. It's become stale. It's become boring. And clearly, it's become fruitless. Well, it's not even also really in L.A. <laughs> well, yeah, Anaheim, down, you know, down to 57 and 91 down there. Yeah, well, whatever. Every single Californian can speak using just road and root numbers that like nobody else knows to actually call them on. Yeah, yeah, but we know we know what we're talking about. I'll tell you. No, I know it. It, it is the it is the premise of a very good Saturday Night Live skit. The, have you ever seen it, The Californians? No, I haven't. It's, it's a bunch of guys who speak where basically nobody's top lip moves. That's hilarious. And there's uh, you know, everybody just quoting road signs. <laughs> well, it's not far I, I, off. I, it's not far no, off from reality. Having spent time in Southern California, I actually know that that's pretty close to correct. Saturday Night Live does a good good, good job of on authenticity, to be quite fair to them. Yeah. So what other managers end up on the hot seat for you, though? Uh, I'm going to give Paul Molitor a pass because I just think his team is terrible. Um but what I am going to go with is I'm going to go with the Diamondbacks manager, Chip Hale. He's been on the hot seat, I think, all season long. Tony La Russa doesn't want to take any blame for any of this. Dave Stewart doesn't want to take any blame for any of this. Chip Hale's going to go down in a ball of flames. Chip Hale should go down in a ball of flames for this. But Tony La Russa, and there's something I'm going to bring up that I didn't put on the agenda about him later with regards to Adam Jones' comments versus his retort about baseball. Uh but Tony La Russa has basically turned Arizona into the most awful bywater of baseball possible. And Chip Hale's going to get the blame for it, rightfully, because that team's drastically underperformed any sort of expectation. And as much as you want to say, like, oh, they didn't have A.J. Pollock, A.J. Pollock's one player. You should be able to navigate one injury. And he's not Mike Trout. He's not Mike Trout. No, he's, he's A.J. Pollock. He's a good player. He's a very good player. He's an all-star center fielder, but he's not a generational talent. But Chip Hale absolutely needs to go. I would fire Molitor. That team that team shows so little ability and fight in any sort of way. Oh, actually, I, I can get that. I can get that. I can understand that. You know, I, I read a stat, though, the other day. Mets, Bartolo Colon, I think Paul Molitor had more at-bats than any player on the Twins against Bartolo Colon, like, combined in his yeah. career. Absolutely. It, it makes was perfect fantastic. Sense. It was fantastic. It makes me feel old, yes, but it was great. Yeah. Uh, you want to know another guy who absolutely should go is uh, Craig Council in Milwaukee. They've, they've been bad for a while. They haven't improved. I know they don't spend any money, but they, they just, they're, they're stuck in a serious, serious organizational rut. And they probably need to kind of start everything over all over the field. Yeah, he was on my list, too. I just think that Craig Council gets a pass in Milwaukee, too. People love him there. I don't understand it either. It's kind of the social effect, except on a smaller scale, obviously. But I think Craig Council, uh, I think he needs he, he does need the screws tightened on him because, you know, that team is going nowhere fast. 
No, no. I mean, it's a badly planned out team. The only thing that's actually been remotely fun watching this entire second half of the season for them has been Orlando Arcia, whether or not he actually is anything. And I'm still not sure. Yeah. I think good def- he's good defensively. I think we're going to stay unsure for a little bit longer, my friend, because uh, his consistency is what uh, is really puzzling, I think. Yeah, it's just, you know, that six four, the 643 OPS that he's putting together is not particularly impressive, but he can pick it. Yeah, no, he could flash the leather, that's for sure. Let's move on to GMs. Who GMs. tops your list of GMs that got to go? Tony La Russa. But Tony LaRusso is not the GM. Dave Stewart is his GM. I know Dave Stewart's his, his GM. It's but his Tony puppet. Is really, I get it. I get it. I get Tony LaRusso is calling the shots. Tony LaRusso really needs to go. He has, he he's you know a guy who was revolutionary in baseball 25 years ago, and now everything that he's revolutionized has been done over, like defensive positioning. Now you have teams shifting constantly. Uh, Teams have actually even simplified the rotation and when to go to the bullpen. Even further from him, like his big thing was, I'm just going to use a, a lefty, get at one guy out man or a righty one guy out man in the eighth inning before going to a closer. Now you have teams that basically have sixth inning guys, seventh inning guys, seventh inning lefty, seventh inning righty, eighth inning guy, closer. Like it, he, he, it's come to a point where even what he's done has been innovated upon so far that it's surpassed him and his limited capacity for understanding modern baseball players. Plus, he's a terrible person, and I don't wish anything positive on him. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. Jesus. Oh, man. I, I agree with that, though. Actually, Dave Stewart, I think, or Tony LaRusso, or the entire organization that is the Arizona Diamondbacks should go away, uh, and they need to start fresh. I just, um, I know they tried really hard to spend some money in, in the market in, in Zach Grinke, and that didn't exactly work out the best. Shelby Miller, I know there's still some things going on there, but, you know, with the money that they owe these players, it's going to be really hard to change anything and 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 the guys that are in charge now are going to be committed to them because they made this mistake it's it is what it is and it's going to be a perpetual you know downward spiral i think if they stay but unfortunately i think dave stewart and tony the rooster are both going to stay uh but another one on my honorable mention is rick Hahn, chicago white Sox. uh it's more about just the environment that the white Sox have built uh it's just nobody seems to be ever saying anything good about the white Sox. Yeah, well, that's another that's another franchise where I would just start everything over. I would start by building a new stadium and getting it a real name. I would then continue by firing the GM, and I would also fire the manager. <laughs> and then I would trade Chris Sale, and then I would basically, you know, I basically that's that's a uh, franchise that needs to be kind of cut adrift, put on an iceberg, and shoved out to sea. I don't disagree with that, man. Uh, you know, especially now that the Cubs are, are, are a really good baseball team, it's even, you know, it's even that much harder to digest or to say anything good about the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, I mean, if, if you actually look, they kind of rank near the bottom of every indicator of fan satisfaction in baseball. Their fans hate the stadium. They hate the on-field product. It's not likable. And their best player, Chris Sale, is highly unlikable. Highly, highly unlikable. We should have known of this, and we kind of both called it after we saw the LaRoche retirement in spring training, you know, citing uh, you know, a 14-year-old kid as a leader on the team. This is, this is a disastrous franchise. 
Yeah, it's it, it's actually probably early on in the year, like we like you said, it, it just became the laughing stock of the league early on, and it's it's not gone any better. If it weren't for if it weren't for the Minnesota Twins, uh, you know, Chicago could have even a tougher time, to be quite honest. I mean, they they it, take away their start of the season. I think they started eighteen and eight. Yeah, yeah. their record since then is so is well below five hundred. They get routinely routinely outplayed. There's they've no passion on the team. Your your best player is Todd Frazier Todd Frazier and Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu forgot how to hit for any power until about two and a half weeks ago, and he's your cleanup hitter. And Todd Frazier can't lift his average north at two thirty. So I mean, you're not going to do anything there. That's that's a terrible way to play. Yeah, it's god awful, man. God awful. But, but let's talk about you. You mentioned something there, passion and whatnot. I want to. I want to talk about passion. And yesterday, I think we saw a little bit. And we're going to move over to the NL West and the Dodgers Giants. Uh, you know, Madison Bumgarner and and Puig got into it. Uh, you know, in yesterday's game, and and it just seems you know a ground ball. Puig ran it out. Bumgarner. I guess doesn't like people looking in his direction for whatever reason. He feels that entitled. What are your thoughts on Madison Bumgarner? Who do you think is to blame? And what, I mean, in the big picture, what are your thoughts on the whole situation? The whole, so I'm going to go big picture first. These are two teams that have a rivalry and they don't like each other. And that is awesome to see. That's what you want. You want your, you want the players to actually care about the thing that they're doing. Like it's too often that you see rivalries like, I don't know the Mets and Chase Utley, where nobody threw at him until the eleventh game, until the sixth game in which they played against each, each, against each other this year. I wanted to see him. I wanted to see him like you know nailed early in this particular game. Puig hasn't been up long back from the AAA against uh, Bumgarner. First time he's faced him since he's back up, and what does he do? He pisses him off. I love that. It's good to you, you should care about this. It's a you know you're playing a- athletics baseball for a job. There's testosterone there. You should care. I get that. I get the passion. I get the Giants Dodger rivalry. I totally get that. There's, you know, I, I wake up in the morning. I get so excited about it, especially when you got Kershaw, Bumgarner going on the bump. You know, everything is flying high emotions, like you said, testosterone. But in that moment, bro, what did Yasiel Puig do to marry? Oh, that? he did nothing. He did absolutely nothing. Like Bumgarner is being a jackass. But but okay, fair. I agree. I agree with you one hundred percent. Do you think that maybe far too often Madison Bumgarner gets a pass? I think that sometimes, it, it, you know, it, it's called passion or it's called leadership or it's called fire or it's called whatever you want it to 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 call it. Yeah, uh, for me, it's just you know arrogance. It's it's a sense of entitlement to tell another grown man not to look at me in the stadium, you know, or in general space. I don't understand that. I don't understand, you know, how you can feel that strongly about that. Like, I don't know. I don't know how pampered he is in San Francisco or or how nobody could tell him anything, I guess, in the entire National League. I understand that intimidation is part of his game and it should be as a pitcher. But this is crossing the line to me. This is just stupidity. Oh, it's absolutely crossing the line. And I kind of want to think of it this way. If Adam Jones right now hits a long home run, flips his batter, stares it down. How do you think it's going to be reacted to? That he's passionate about it? Or do you think people are going to have a very, very different take? Well, no, I, I mean, I, I agree. I agree 100%. And I think this is another question that I was going to ask you. Could you imagine if, you know, uh, if that was, you know, you're a big Doc Gooden fan, and, and then could you imagine a young Doc Gooden acting in that way? And then how would, it, it, you know, how, how would 
media have reacted then or even now to something like that you know if it was a Marcus Stroman or a player you know Chris Archer or somebody like that I do think there is something there well I think but Armando you gotta remember the action of a pitcher staring a guy down or throwing at someone is in the older book of baseball rules so if you go back you have a guy like Bob Gibson who threw at people all the time people didn't you know say the types of things that you'd see them say about I don't know, an NFL player who dances into the touchdown because into the end zone because he's doing something that's an accepted behavior within the sport. Staring down home runs like Manny Ramirez has to do, like Ortiz has done, like Joey Bautista has done, like you know, when Assessment has done. That gets that gets criticized a lot more by people who talk about you know unwritten rules and need to respect the milieu of the game. Uh, it it doesn't necessarily mean that we need to, you know, say think that they're right because Baumgartner crossed the line last night. Like he did. He th- there was no reason for any of that to happen. Staring a guy down, not an issue in my part, not my in my book. Yeah. Don't get look that tough break. <laughs> yeah, this had a little bit of a feel of like Roger Clemens throwing his bat at Piazza. Like just like this like bratty uh i'm you know it's my way or the highway type of mentality where it's like a stupid decision that you can just get away with because you are who you are but in grand scheme of things it would never happen in any other reality any other walk of life for you to just act this way it's just for me is it's it's really i don't know i i didn't like it I, i thought it was incredibly distasteful i'm glad that puig stood his ground i'm glad that our first base coach got in there and 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 stood their ground uh I just thought it was really a poor showing for the San Francisco Giants. I'm also really glad that Dave Roberts has had Puig's back since he came up, since he came back up. Like that's, that's something that has not got that. I don't know how much mention it's gotten in LA. I can tell you the national sports media, it's not gotten much mention. Puig is always seen as something of a loose cannon, but all you've heard since he came back up was that, you know, he's doing the things he needs to and he's buying in. And you know what? To be quite honest, man, his demeanor is different. On a day-to-day, he's happy to be part of the team. I think he was humbled going down. He said as much. He did say that he would have rather have been traded than gone down. But I think, you know, he got his head on straight a little bit. I took It took a little while. He got in trouble down there early in Oklahoma. But afterwards, he really, you know, tightened the screws. He was hitting an astronomical over 400. He was hitting home runs left and right down there. Uh, it had me thinking he was just a quadruple-A player. But he's come up and... He's been a different player. He's been a different person. He's been the way he carries himself, the way he's he's been more professional. And I think the tools have always been there for Yasiel. I think it's him accepting a role and, and being professional at his craft that's been lacking sometimes. But we're seeing that change now because I, I, like Dave Roberts has done magic, not just with Puig, but with everybody. I mean, the platoon of him and Reddick or, or or using Howie Kendrick in left field or, or what, what Jock Peterson has done and meant to this team, even though, you know, under Mattingly, he was getting criticized for, for not being able to hit and striking out too much. Yeah, he's done a lot of the same things this year but he has improved and and it's the way that he's been nurtured by by Dave Roberts put his arm around him when he has to I really think that Dave Roberts has been a really refreshing thing for the Los Angeles Dodgers in a market that that people expect a lot of divas that you know we spend a lot of money and and and, and things like that Dave Roberts has brought a humbling hard-working you know uh mentality to the team and 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 it's really about buying in and and we saw that they weren't afraid to send Yasiel down when he was being a distraction but uh he is an asset to this team and 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 
and, and we're getting healthier. Andre Ethier is back now uh, and, and getting a chance to prove himself for the for the postseason roster. I think Dave Roberts is handling everything, you know, perfectly. To be quite honest, with the circumstances he's been dealt. Yeah, no, I I, ha- I happen to fully agree with you. And there is one other name that you mentioned in there that we forgot to mention in our managers that should be fired, Don Mattingly. Don Mattingly should just he needs to be a bench coach or maybe a hitting coach or something lesser. I don't think that uh, baseball manager slash strategist is uh, up his alley to say the least. No, no, he's he's proven it time and time again. I mean, he he's gotten some bad luck with John Carlos Stanton getting hurt, but he's managed the Marlins severely badly out of that out around that. I mean, that's a team that just went really into a tailspin. They're, they're the reason that the Mets were basically allowed back into the race was the fact that the Marlins just fell apart, particularly head-to-head against the Mets. I, I'm not complaining about it. Yeah, uh, I mean, I absolutely, that's the reason you guys are back in it. It's, it's good for you guys, obviously. Uh, but, but for me, Mattingly proved it here in L.A. time and again, not being able to manage a bullpen, not being able to make the right substitutions, the right calls, uh, you know, not knowing when to hit and run. There's just so many things that, 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 that are wrong with the way he approaches the game. He'll leave a right-handed hitter to face a lefty or a left-handed pitcher to face a, a right-handed hitter who's batting 600 against, you know, lefties and he'll just let it happen. He'll bring in, he'll make that move and it doesn't make any sense. Uh, I don't know what charts he's looking at. I don't know what analytics he looks at from what it looks like. He just goes by the gut and that hasn't worked for him so far and I don't think it's going to work for him in the long run. But to be quite honest, I think that's, that, that's a type of manager that my Miami is going to need their owner doesn't care about winning too much. Uh, it's just about being, you know, if they could get a consistent team that can attract, attract some crowds, that's all they really care about. I mean, I know the, the Marlins have won some world series, but that ownership group is a joke, man, to be quite honest. Well, every single time they've won, they've immediately sold off. Right. There's no concern for like, there's no concern for sustained success there. So, I mean, regardless of what happens, realistically, all the all that they need to do is just make sure that they can produce enough young talent to stay remotely relevant. And that's going to be tough for them because their farm system's actually terrible. It is. It is. I think all the talent that they did have is now up and uh, we're seeing, you know, they, they do have some stars out there, some really good baseball players, but it's it's well short of what you need on a major league roster to compete. And, and, and like you said, the, their farm system is not exactly, you know, just stacked with talent it's really thin and it's something that's going to haunt haunt them for a long time i mean eventually john carlo's going to have to get moved there's a, every piece that's ever come through the marlin system eventually gets moved yeah absolutely and the thing is all the all, all that they have right now outside jose fernandez are position players they don't have a single pitcher that projects to be anything more than just a, a, a back end of the rotation guy right which is nice if you're trying to basically be a 500 baseball team Right, they're shooting for average. That's what they're shooting for. Yeah, it's. I mean, the fact that Major League Baseball allows that to happen is actually kind of appalling, especially considering the fact that Miami is a pretty big media market. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. That's a very, very good point. And we've seen teams and and, and franchises in other sports succeed in Miami. The Dolphins get a big draw, and they they they've had success in the past. We've seen what the Heat have done in the NBA. Uh, it's just they they've really. I just feel like the Marlins have never put any effort into it. And even when they built this new stadium, it's kind of a joke. Their lime green wall, their, you know, statue in center field that looks like this. I don't I don't even know what to call it. It, it really does look like a joke. Um, but 
I don't know. I don't know. They did, I think fans down there, you know, there's a lot of Latin people down there, and, and Latins love baseball, and I do think they deserve a little bit better than what they're getting. Oh, absolutely agreed. So to switch topics, uh, Adam Jones last week went on record, uh, you know, because right now a very hot button issue in America is the concept of patriotism, standing for the flag and, and standing for the national anthem and all of those things. Adam Jones has gone on record saying basically that baseball isn't a sport within which that'll happen because of the fact that it's effectively a white man sport uh, with white man's rules. Uh, Tony LaRussa, a person who I've not hidden my distaste for, uh, re- retorted to that saying that Adam Jones is being disrespectful and that people like Colin Kaepernick are you know, resolutely wrong in what they're doing. Um, Armando, I wanted to get your opinion on first Adam Jones's comments and then kind of the reactionary point that LaRussa is making and whether or not you even think sports is, you know, the right place for, for, for political dissent. I will start with your last question first. I think that sports is the perfect podium for this. I think we've seen it in Olympic Games. I think we've seen it all the way back dating to, you know, Jesse Owens, the Black Panther movement in the Olympics. We've seen this. Um, I think it's the perfect place to do it. I think people, especially these athletes who are so affluent and, um, you know, Colin Kaepernick, he's in a position where he makes a ton of money and he doesn't need to do this. He's not necessarily a victim of any oppression per se. Yeah. But I I think as a whole for them to have that platform to speak out for people that can't, I think is important. I think it's important to speak out on what you believe in. And, um, I, I personally don't think it's being incredibly disrespectful or anything like that i think he's proving his point in a way that he feels uh comfortable in doing and i think that you know this country uh, you know is founded upon that him being able to do that and i respect him enough to for having you know the the courage to to do that on, on the stage that he does um as far as adam jones's comments uh it's hard to disagree with him in the sense of I can understand where he's angry. I can understand where those words come from. We've seen a lot uh, of problems, you know, or a lot. We've seen baseball recently in the last couple of years really try to get back into the inner cities and really make baseball popular with the young minorities and African-Americans. And uh, there had been a long time that any person of color in baseball was a Latino, not born in the U.S., most likely. Uh, and we are starting to see a little bit more of that return with the Stroman, with, with you know, Adam Jones and the like. And, and it's nice to see, you know, more black players in baseball again. But he's not wrong in what he says, per se. That probably won't ever happen in baseball. Uh, and, 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 and even if it, even if it did, um, I think it would be frowned upon much more heavily and much more severely than it has been in football. That's just a personal take. I, 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 I you know, I could be totally wrong, um, but I can understand definitely where he comes from. Uh, Tony Larusa, I think, is out of place here. He doesn't want to put, you know, himself in other people's positions, and I don't think Tony Larusa is necessarily capable of that. So I wouldn't expect him to say anything uh, educated or to say anything you know, logical coming out of his mouth. I think he's just blowing, you know, air as usual. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to actually answer this in the exact opposite order within which you answered, because you did address a lot of the things that I, I and you made, you know, 99.9% of the points you made. I, I agree with uh, LaRusa, I think is completely and totally off base because one of the points that he did make is about how baseball is trying to go back into the inner cities to try to, uh, you know, get, get, you know, 
American black kids back interested in baseball and away from basketball and football. Well, the idea is if you've lost them, what attempt did you make to keep them? Why aren't, you know, why didn't baseball for a long time after, you know, this is the sport that was the first sport in the United States to desegregate. People forget that Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier was one of the biggest impetuses for the single, you know, if not maybe the biggest impetus for the, for the start of the civil rights movement that happened well beyond when the remainder of the civil rights movement really kicked off. Now, uh, there's an aspect of Larusa not understanding that that's kind of baseball's place in American history is also is it mirrors a lot of American society was that this was a sport that that was a cause for revolutionary change for a bit because you had Negro League players, you know, um, uniting. You had a lot of white major league players and also, a lot, you know, on the other hand, this is all, the opposite side is true, who lobbied actively to get black players into baseball because they wanted to challenge themselves against the best competition. It's not entirely true because there are some black, you know, some white players who very much oppose black people getting into baseball. But, you know, that's something that Larusa needs to understand is where it lost its way. Now, Adam Jones, I think, is 100 percent correct and now asserting, though, that it's a white game because that's a complaint that Jackie Robinson consistently made. Robinson himself actually sat for the national anthem for, at, at sections of his career and was largely lampooned for it, despite the fact that he put up with horrific racism throughout his entire playing career and considering the fact that he fought in World War II. So he actually was a veteran who fought underneath that flag and he still got crap for it. So I think that, you know, going to the the third question I asked you, I agree with you. It absolutely is the the right place within which to, uh, to form that, form that part of protest. Uh, another thing that I don't think that you mentioned, but you probably, you know, is, is it's corollary to your art, to, to your comments is this is pitting people who make a lot of money thinking beyond themselves. It is actually very easy for professional athletes to say, well, I got everything I want because this country was good to me. So I shouldn't speak out for anybody else. Uh, it, it is very easy. We've seen athletes do that. I mean, Michael Jordan's famous comment of uh, Republicans buy sneakers too was a, was a reason that he resisted speaking out for a long time whether or not he actually said it is uh you know is largely conjecture but uh the idea is there's a lot to be there's a lot to be lost from alienating a large segment of this of society especially the segment of society that is basically your audience because right now like it or not baseball's audience is also mostly white and latino it's not black right Right, no, absolutely, man, absolutely, and 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 the, I mean, I think you you you're spot on on all these points, and I, I, like you said, Jackie Robinson dealt with this and this internal struggle as well, and 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 like you said, multiple times spoke out about it and demonstrated on the issue, and I do think this isn't an issue that's new, um, and it's been recurring over time, and it'll probably occur again in ten to twenty years, and it just is unfortunate, yeah, that we're not getting past such things, but you know, for me. Ultimately, patriotism in this country is to appreciate all of the the freedoms and all of the things that have been given to us and the opportunities given to us. Uh, and for me, um, none none more important than freedom of speech and, and freedom of belief. And I really do uh, appreciate that. And 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 and. and I'm grateful for that, and for that reason alone, I think that what Colin Kaepernick and other and the like, and 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 and, and people in the NFL or and, and players around you know the world and athletes around the world are, are speaking up. It's it's it, I think it's important, and um, I just don't know, 
you know, hopefully in time we can see other than just black athletes, you know, speak out on the matter of patriotism and, and, and stand up for, you know, you know, and speak out for the oppressed as well, because I, I do think that it, it, it's larger than a black issue. It, it's much larger. It's a societal issue that's dogged us for generations. So I, I could not agree with you more about wanting to see different voices begin. And we are starting to see that in other sports, uh, you know. Right now, Megan Rapino is, you know, sitting during the national anthem. Actually, did so while representing the U.S. during an international game, which you know caused a little bit of a stir. Uh, I, you know, completely understanding why. If you're if you're representing your country but you're not standing for the national anthem, you're going to offend some people. But sometimes offending people is actually the way to make change. Right, right. Sometimes you gotta you gotta ruffle some feathers and you gotta make some noise. And I, I can really appreciate what's going on here, Justin. We're running out of time here. Let's uh, yeah. let, let's get a few things. Uh, let's get some awards going on here. We're going to touch yes. on the MVPs real quick. Who are your MVPs uh, for this season in the American and National League, my friend? All right. In the American League, I don't believe that you can possibly give the award to anybody besides Mike Trout because it's going to be down to an abstract uh, understanding of the question of value. Um, the fact is he's probably worth more wins to his team than any other teams, and the award isn't called most valuable player with a parentheses that says to a team going to the playoffs. And I, I, I don't see any way within which you can justifiably give it to anybody else. We're on the same boat there. Mike Trout in the American league sweep. What do you got in the national league? Uh, my opinion on this one hasn't changed. I know we've probably spoken about it a few times. It's Daniel Murphy. Daniel Murphy. I got Chris Bryant because I'm just so impressed by uh, his home runs, but I can I can understand the Daniel Murphy point. Absolutely. We've spoke on this many times, and I know it's genuine because you wouldn't do this to yourself time and again. No, and, and I understand the whole – I understand Bryant. It's Bryant's playing in such a potent lineup. It's such a hitter-friendly park, and he's got Chris – and he's got Anthony Rizzo protecting him in that lineup. It's so difficult for me to, to, to want to give him – Give it to him, even though I think if the award was called best player, I'd give it to him by a mile. He's the best player in the National League. Fair enough. How about the uh, Cy Youngs? Who do you got? So the Cy Young Award, is, for me, is going to be a homer pick. It's actually Noah Syndergaard. Uh, he's been let down by having a subpar defense and subpar run support, but you know, he's lowest FIP, low, you know, fielding independent pitching, which is basically ERA if you strip out fielding. Uh, his ERA sits third in the National League. He's struck out the fifth most guys in the national league, basically everything except for win loss. He sits basically in the top five or top two or three. in. I know that Kyle Hendrick has the great ERA and the great win loss record, but so much of it is also due to the fact that he pitches to contact and he pitches to contact in front of the best defense in the national league in Chicago. Absolutely. I I'm going to have to go with Scherzer. I like Scherzer. I think what he's done uh, for the Nats has been really impressive. Uh, you know, he's a streaky pitcher, but he's been hot for the majority of this season. And when he's on, he's probably the most unhittable pitcher in baseball. Scherzer's FU mode is insane. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely that. All right, what do you got in the American League, my friend? I can't see any giving it to anybody besides Zach Britton. Zach Britton. I like that. You don't think Rick Porcello should even be in the conversation? I think Rick Porcello's had a great year. I think Porcello and Kluber are the two other guys I'd think of. But Zach Britton's allowed seven runs all year. Yeah. His ERA plus <laughs> is seven sixty four. Yeah, he's you, unhittable. You can't argue with that. That's absolutely true. Like Zach Britton's putting together the best season we've ever seen a reliever put together, and I think that deserves, you know, more more uh, 
more um, merit than just getting the the Rolades, you know, relief pitcher award. I can see do that. Do they still give that? They still get that. They out? do. They do. And okay. I like I like you thinking outside the box there. I like it. I like that pick. Good deal. All right, manager of the year. Who do you got in the AL? In the AL? Uh, shit, I hadn't thought about that. Man, what kind, of, <laughs> what kind of award show is this if the skippers aren't getting any love, my man? I thought about it for the National League. I didn't think about it for the American League. All right, National League, who you got? Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker? This is the Dave Roberts show. When are you going to learn? Uh, but I can see that. I mean, taking, over, you know Matt, taking over that Matt Williams team, I can see that. He fixed a very, very, very dysfunctional clubhouse. I can see that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Granted, part of that is Mike Rizzo finding a way to, you know, get rid of Jonathan Papelbon. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good point, my friend. That's and a listen, very, I wrestle, very, very good point. I wrestled between three guys, four guys, realistically. Madden, Roberts, uh, Terry Collins. All right, I really didn't wrestle Terry Collins because I think he's one who should be fired, but that's just me. And... uh Madden, Madden, Roberts, and uh, Dusty Baker. Those are the three who I thought really should have been in there. Madden's too easy. He's dealing with too much talent. Yeah, I, I, I mean, Madden's a gimme if you wanted to go that route. I think Dave Roberts has been the most impressive for me, and I'm a homer, sure. But I, I really, with what he's been dealt with, I think he's been incredibly impressive and cr- incredibly professional in the American League because I am professional, unlike you. I am going to go with Jeff Bannister. I think with what he's done with the Rangers has been incredible. I really am uh, a big fan of what the Rangers are doing. I'm not a fan of Odor per se, uh, but I do like the Rangers, and I do think that he deserves a lot of credit with that team. Well, do you not like Odor as a person or Odor's game? As a person. Okay. Uh, Jeff Jeff Bannister has done a great job. He's not my. He's not now that I've had you know the the, the benefit of the last two minutes to think about it. Not, <laughs> not I'm actually I'm actually going to go with Buck Showalter. That's fair. That's fair. I love Buck, and I do think that's a very fair um, two minute analysis that you made here, and uh, I can respect it. Yes, yeah, I mean, Buck, that's not a team where you expect to see a ton of talent. He's certainly gotten helped out by the fact that Manny Machado is, you know, a top th- three player in the game and that Mark Trumbo is all of a sudden the most feared power hitter in, in baseball. Mark Trumbo, what a revelation he has been. And um, really, uh, you know, for me, he, he deserves to be in that AL MVP conversation. He does. He absolutely does, except for the fact that Mike Trout's alive. Yeah, well, th- that's that's the problem that people are going to face for as long as Mike Trout can walk, right? Pretty much. I figured as much, my man. But I think that's yeah. us for the week, dude. You got anything else? No, I think uh, what we want to do, though, is just uh, quickly bring, bring a mention and thanks to anybody who's going to be listening to us on the All In Sports Player. Uh, this, is, this show is going to be going out live uh, there in about an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. Uh, you know, if you have any feedback for us, we always appreciate it. Um, if it's a complaint, please send it to Armando Angulo 12. And if it's praise, you know, send it to at rolls on Shabbos. Uh, other than that, thanks for listening to us, guys. Bye, everybody. Thank you, guys. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Cool. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.